Welcome to the Light Gray Art Lab podcast. I'm Lindsay Knoll. I'm Jenny Buckler. I'm Chris Heine. And I'm Francesca Butchko. And for this week's podcast, we wanted to give you an update on what's happening with Dream Arcade. Um, we've been working on it for the last at least six months, and uh, so far we've, we've probably got about, what would you say, Chris, half complete? Uh, it might little, be more than half. A little bit more than half? Yeah. Usually when we work on big projects like this, we keep a lot of the stuff under wraps, and so we thought we would tell you some of the stuff that happens in the beginning, some of the things that we hadn't anticipated, and some of the feature creep that is starting to happen that's actually becoming some of the coolest stuff that will happen in this project. Um, before we do that, we want to tell you a little bit about what's happening currently at Light Gray. Jenny, can you tell people what's up right now? Sure. Uh, so just about a week ago, we had the opening reception for Stacks, which is an incredible project. Um, there's about 60 artists participating in the show, um, and each one of them have created a, a limited edition series of zines all about a, one of the years from 1984 to 2014. Um, some of the zine topics range from pop culture to politics to um, their favorite icons or TV shows, things that sort of made a giant impact in their history and also uh, who they became today. Um, so a lot of the artists have sort of had personal experiences and written about why the things that are important to them are important to them. So it's a really cool project and sort of a chronicling of the past 30 years in recent history of the world. So it's a really exciting project. Um, we've also been busily working to ship out all of the stacks to everyone. Yep. Um, all the artists in the exhibition actually get an entire collection of everyone's work. Uh, so a big stack of zines. Um, so we've been shipping those out this weekend. So all the artists will be getting a surprise very soon. So get ready for that. If you guys have participated in the show, you're going to see that. And you get to spend lots of time with all the zines. Uh, the other things that you should take note of, uh, we will be releasing some information about 2015's residency with Light Gray Art Lab. If you haven't seen it, we announced some information about the 2014 one, which we're actually leaving tonight uh, to go to Iceland with a group of 10 creatives uh, for an extreme adventure in some really fantastic wilderness landscapes uh, filled with glaciers. Uh, moss-covered kind of lunar landscapes and bubbling hot pots and all sorts of interesting things. Find out more information on our website, which is lightgrayartlab.com, and we'll be updating that with the new details for the 2015 residency upon our return. So that should be coming shortly. The mm -hmm. other thing that you should be aware of is that we are just about to launch a new call for art. So make sure that you peek at the blog. It's blog.lightgrayartlab.com. And we will have all the information about that, too. So be sure to peek at that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So I'm psyched about it. So it's a good project. Yeah. Um, also, uh, this month, yes, August, is actually the one-year anniversary for the In Place book, um, which is very timely as we are just about to travel now. Um, but that book is actually a really cool project. If you guys haven't checked it out, it is um, archived on the gallery website and it is also on the website, the shop, which is shop.lightgrayartlab.com. Um, it's a really cool project. It has 50 concept artists from around the world who've done all sorts of amazing uh, places that they find either spectacular or sublime or interesting historically. Um, so we're actually doing a quick sale on that for just the month of August. 
Yep. And so, uh, again, it's a beautiful art book. It's a landscape format. Um, really nice heft to that book, yes. I would say. So check that out, too, if you haven't seen it before. Um, and let's see here. Let's go back in time for a second, you guys. And we'll go all the way back to when we were working on the Role Models game. And those of you guys that haven't heard of that, it is the first game game that we did that was sort of a, what would you call it? A card game based on... It's a playable based card on... game. Kind of a light strategy poker variant with uh, variable powers. And so it's based on all these different classes set in a fantasy world. It's got like an epic, um, amazing lands that are being destroyed by war and all sorts of <laughs> awesome history of all of the different characters. Um, and we had... 99 artists that participate in that one, 95 of which are character cards um, that have like a self-portrait aspect. So all of the people involved picked uh, attributes of their character, their strength, their dexterity, their charisma, and so on, uh, and as well as their alignment and their class. And so each of those classes, of course, you can see the people that ally as paladins together all of like the chaotic evil people you can kind of see all those guys together it's a really interesting sort of social project as much as it is one based on fantasy and role-playing as well as a strategy card game so when we were making that project i went to a meeting with uh, some people at a local collaborative co-working space and i was giving a presentation on that particular project it was probably right before we started some of our our great personality yeah actually i think it was right before that and i was talking about the project and i was showing some of the artwork at the end of it uh, a man came up to me and introduced himself it was david washington uh, he introduced himself to me as i don't know what his official title is sorry david but i think he he does coding he's a programmer he's also uh in cahoots with microsoft so he's been working on getting people into the app store. Into the Windows Store ecosystem. And uh, he said, hey, that's a really good idea. Have you ever considered making a game that is is maybe video game related or somewhat interactive on the computer? And I was like, well, actually, that's funny that you say that because I hadn't told anybody about great personality yet and had just started coding that in Python around that time, I believe. And so it's a very different format and a very different kind of a thing. It's a, it's a visual novel, which, again, you kind of choose different pathways and you kind of go through it. But it's not the same as a normal video game that I would say that you think of. Um, so we talked a little bit and we ended up kind of keeping in the back of our minds that maybe something could come out of that. And maybe whatever David's contribution, whatever our weird, crazy thing um, that we might do might end up being a project project somewhere down the line. And I think sometime around January, was it, Chris? We ended up having a meeting with David and really yeah, finalized some of the thoughts. Yeah, I think that's sort of, of when, we, when we started talking about the actual possibility of the project, we sort of mulled over what we could do with another sort of more traditional video game approach. Um, and um, we just said, if you think of anything you know, that you want to contribute, show us, and maybe we can work that into a project instead of just us, like, throwing ideas at a wall, I feel like. And I believe he brought an engine to us that was a 2D platformer engine and said, here's a 2D platformer engine and a couple other concepts as well that he had kind of 
started on, right? And that's sort of what kicked off Dream Arcade? I think it was. I think we had the idea that we wanted something that was a little bit more movable. So, of course, great personality is something where you're, you're going through this world, but you're not really It's not dexterity-based at all, yeah. yeah. It's, it's all... Text-based. Text-based. Um, great personality is a 2D platformer with, you know, all the things that that entails, pickups and jump pads and um, all sorts Wait, of stuff. Oh, I mean, Dream Arcade. Yeah. Yeah. Dream Arcade is a 2D platformer with everything that entails, like pickups and uh, uh, platforms and jump pads and all that kind of stuff. Um, And I think we had wanted to do some sort of pixel art show, but we weren't sure how to do that because we wanted it to be more than just a pixel art show for the sake of pixel art. Um, One thing that's interesting about pixel art is it's kind of like an aesthetic that is defined by whoever's creating it and one person's pixel art might not be another person's pixel art because maybe it looks pixel art-ish but you don't actually need to be restrained by the pixel aspect kind of ratio to be able to do it um for dream arcade it is you know it, it's nicer looking than a nintendo entertainment system platform but it it kind of is like this weird, almost 16-bit, slightly past maybe early 32-bit um, era games, but they are constrained by the pixel art ratio because of the, just because of how small they are. So the the main characters are actually um, 96 by 128 pixels. So um, it actually did force people to actually kind of work in that constrained scale, which is interesting because it doesn't, you can't fake it. I guess you can kind of fake a pixel art look. By just drawing, you know, some drawing some squares or whatever, but they maybe they don't align to a grid. Like there's no actual underlying grid to say like this exact yellow pixel has to be here instead of maybe it'd be better like two thirds down and two thirds over. It has to be in one of these you know pieces of p- pixels. Um, so it was kind of a really good format because it was detailed enough to give the artists a lot of. Um, room to create interesting things and everything was going to be totally unique it wasn't like atari style where it's like the main character is seven pixels or something you know but yeah did you ever play any of those by the way did you ever play any of those really but you've seen them i've seen them yeah they're like just like it's like four boxes moving around Mm -hmm. at a very weird pace like chunking around yeah yeah so um yeah so dream arcade was kind of like a perfect balance of enough detail to really be able to go to town with the artwork, but also not so much that you can, you've, it's not faking a pixel art look. It is whatever you see, like the artists were kind of like, um, how far should we take the pixel art look? And I said, you can take it as far as you want because whatever you can fit in this is like the real what you can do. challenge of working pixels. It's like, this is how much information. If you can make something readable as rendered as possibly you can make it, that's fine because it's still, only made in a uh, 96 by 128 dimension canvas, I guess I would say. So one thing that I think is really interesting about this is that a lot of times when we have our exhibitions, we do have parameters that people have to be restrained to. And sometimes it is just based on whatever space we have. Uh, sometimes it's based on you know the format of the project. And so if it needs to be a printed 
project um, will specify size or you know shape or things like that. And in this one, I think it was probably one of the most intensive restraints that we've had so far. A great personality in contrast, I think, was a little bit more loose because we were able to resize images if they were, you know, um, short like an inch or something like that. Uh, and I, I believe in that one too. People did a really great job, kind of using their diverse styles to to figure out how to do their assets. And in this one, it's similar because we are working with uh, some of the assets as kind of limited animation. So they're they're an animatable uh, sprite that has what do you, what would you say, Chris? Up to fifteen frames of animation or something like that. Um. Yeah, I think the main player character has the most animation, and that one could be up to over 20 frames of animation, but I think at minimum it's about 15 or so. And I think in Great Personality, I think we had six. Yeah. So we had a neutral one and then five different facial expressions. So there were limited animations that could happen in that one. In this case, the character's constantly running, they're jumping, um, they are hitting things with a staff or whatever they're doing they're attacking and so there are not only like the individual character that just kind of runs and runs and runs but all of these different ways that it interacts with the space and so the artist had these probably close to 40 45 yeah well i mean do you want to talk about what happened before the artist even got involved yeah, which part would you saying, like to talk about? Well, I was just saying David brought in Dream Arcade and we looked at it and said, okay, here is the format that we would kind of need to use. Like he doesn't do any of the art side of things. So he sort of um, started with an open source platform engine. Uh, and I can't remember what it's called off the top of my head, but it's we'll have we'll have links MC to it. Funky Pants. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> we'll make sure that all the credits for this are in here. For the, as they'll well. be in the game for sure. You yeah. can find out everything about yeah. it in the game. But um, he came to us and and he, with this engine, and he basically said, "Here's how the artwork works. Figure out how that works for you guys." And I um, sort of took these placeholder assets and kind of dissected them and worked backwards to figure out what everything was doing. Um, and, and then so, we talked to David about what we would want to happen for Dream Arcade. Like, what would make this interesting? What type of features did we want to code into the game to make it more interesting um, than just a straight-up platformer, I guess? Right. And I think initially when we were talking about the concept of Dream Arcade, we did want to have a platformer. And so I think his his combination of suggesting this engine and sort of our like needs for it we knew it had to be limited because of the mm-hmm. amount of artwork that a person could physically do with their level. We knew it had to have like certain attributes. We knew it had to have, you know, enough room to sort of flex things. So you're right. Like after he came back and he said, okay, well, here's this engine. We had several more brainstorming sessions where we sat down and said like, you know, does the background have parallaxing effects? Like, what happens when we want to add text inside this uh, story? Like, when there, are there certain things where you get to touch, like, a specific spot and a piece of text shows up and, and helps a story go along? Like, how do we make these very special things instead of just collecting or just having, you know, jumping, attacking, and, you know, and point collecting? Right, and the other thing was, were we going to... And I don't, I don't think this is a debate for very long, but the I guess the two options were we would have a level that all of the artists would skin with their art, or would we create levels specifically for every artist? 
I think we even had so, a stage two where we said each artist gets like 10 levels. Yeah. yeah. And then we were like, oh my God. Yeah. But I mean, the, the, the option could have been we had 10 levels that are pr- like, let's say it's Mario 1-1. Mario, everyone knows Mario 1-1. Every time everyone gets a level creator, they're like, I'm going to make Mario 1-1 because it's so such an iconic level. Let's yeah. say we made one level like 1-1 and then we Which put Richie Pope's artwork on it and then yeah. we put Kevin J. Stanton's artwork on it. We put everyone's artwork on the same levels. So when you play the level, you would see tile for tile or block for block how the artists kind of like switched out these assets. But we thought that would be kind of restricting because... Then you just have to be like, here is this person's version of a brick texture. And here is this person's version of a brick texture or something like that. So we ended up deciding that we would need to fully create each level from scratch to make sure that we could do something unique for every artist and not limit them to be like, this has to be how this level works in it. Uh, The artist didn't design the levels themselves, but it was a little bit, it had more input from artists to talk and they would email me and they would, you know, Tell, tell me ideas of what they were having. And some people um, actually gave like some some previews of what could be. Right, and I think they had an idea of an underground situation. Or yeah, something but usually that was they a would never end. But we would talk first, and they'd say, "Here's yeah. how I want this to be," and what then I would say, do? "If yeah. you were going to do that, you'd need to do this and this and this," and and give them specific examples of how they would have to create their artwork. Because one thing the artists didn't really have access to because they couldn't teach them how to use the programs we're using and everything like that, just because of time because of distance it'd be too hard to do you know with 30 different people over email yeah (laughs) um but as they had questions i just said if you have any questions ask me and i will answer them and i spent months and months just like answering questions of what's possible from what from what's possible for artists and so they would say i want to do this and i would i would basically break down how the layers worked in the tile editor or how um you know, how we could hide certain things to make it seem like something magical was happening when really it was working this, you know, the structure of the levels all had to be like the physics and the geometry kind of had to work the same way. It's not like we could make this one level break all the rules because all the levels are sharing the same engine. It's funny that you mentioned that though, because I think at this point we're far enough along that we are starting to break some of the rules. Um, So for example, like some of these really special things that Chris is doing. I mean, we have gotten a little tricky with how to tell the story of each entire, you know, each level. Uh, for example, some people have very specific sets of assets that really sort of limit the diversity of space that can happen. So using those, we have to be clever of how can we extend this level in a way where you're interacting with the physics and with you know, the geometry and with all those things that's different than the rest of those levels. And so there are um, plenty of different things that we've done to do that. Uh, I don't know if you want to talk about this, Chris, but uh, there is one level in particular that I think it's Ansel Lies level yeah, where we have a double parallax background. Mm-hmm. Um, and so far at this stage of development, his is the only one that has it right now, but he's got this really fantastic minimalist background that has these great sparkling stars in the background. And as you jump, the the sky sort of has this really nice depth to it because of the way that those two parallaxing screens kind of move back there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that, that was actually something that, you know, there there's sort of a thing called feature creep in, in video game development and all development, I guess where you're continually adding things and you're like, oh, it'd be cool if you could do this and it would be cool if you could do this. 
And we wanted to avoid that because our timeline is so tight. Strict, yeah. I mean, it's like way stricter than any video game, pretty much, maybe not ever, but like than a normal video game production cycle. So we didn't want to allow for tons of feature, feature creep, and we really wanted to like cut that off before it happened. But there has been a few things that have kind of been like, well, it would be just really cool if we could do this. Um, David was actually just really interested in doing that, um, and he just went ahead and coded it and then just showed me one day, and I was like, oh, that's amazing. So um, that's something that every level won't be able to take advantage of because it really depends on the artist's um, background that they gave us some levels just won't yeah that particular that. one might be very special um, but they kind of have to be repeatable and um repeatable and um what's the word um abstract enough i guess because if it was objects it might be a little bit stranger but at the same time that's just one of several things that that have happened there's mm-hmm. a couple other things that chris has done where using some of the pickup features he is actually having parts of levels disintegrate right like like making terrain that changes and falls away i guess you, i guess you'd call it destructible terrain really what it is it's terrain tiles put into pickup tiles so when you touch them they disappear but it you can trick people into thinking there's a bridge and then they jump on it and fall through into a giant chasm or something like that so Which just is fun exciting. little you know, fun little tricks like that. So <laughs> those are kind of funny. Another feature creep thing that I think was really worth it and something that I really wanted and everyone else wanted, um, but it wasn't coded in the original engine and we we had to, you know, work backwards and recode it and was just the uh, idle animation. And I think that one is really important because anybody who played 16-bit games remembered the idle animations from, like, their favorite games because, like, I think the... The first one that most people remember is Sonic, where if you didn't touch the controller, he would like start tapping his foot and yeah. kind of like look annoyed at you and stuff. And then um, Toe Jam and Earl would start like beatboxing and rapping and stuff, or they'd fall asleep. And um, so just the idle animation was kind of like a always a cool Easter egg in every like 2D platformer in the 16-bit days, just to be like, oh, what is it going to do if you leave the controller? And I think Earthworm Jim might have taken his worm out of the suit and started jump roping with it or something his head <laughs> i guess you could say what <laughs> um so so everyone was like can we do idle animations can we do idle animations and i and i i stayed firm for a while and was just like we don't we're not doing that um but then i secretly asked david if it was even possible and then um he made it happen and then we had to go back and and not every artist was able to do it but almost everyone did it because at that point it was much later in the development cycle so and a lot of them are super funny they're super funny people were really clever about what their characters are doing Uh, the other thing that i think is worth mentioning here is that because we are working with these very specific restraints and size and you know and and pixel um Mm -hmm. art people were really great about using the different spaces to the best of their ability. So we have some characters that have really long, tiny spindly legs, you know, other ones that take up the entire like rectangle situation and make every single pixel usable in that, um, in that area. And one thing that I think is interesting about that too, is that you can still see how each of these artists have, have treated their artwork style within this other new context. Right. Well, I was going to say that earlier when you were talking a little bit about parameters. I think 
making games is something that everyone has like a curiosity to do but doesn't have all of the like coding knowledge or all the game developing knowledge or whatever so I think it was actually um part of the coolest part and also the most difficult part is not knowing how much time things take and also um like not seeing the other side like we're designing the games but not seeing the code and the artists are making the artwork but not seeing the games developed at the same time so it's a lot of like collaborative efforts and like understanding or trying to understand what somebody was doing or why they included this specific piece um so it's lots of like trust but it also gives somebody a really specific like you have this many pixels to do something cool and because the artists only have to focus on the artwork in their world that they're developing it gives them a lot more like actually a lot more freedom to do what they want to do yeah we actually talked with tommy sunders who's one of the artists involved and he um works at a place that makes apps as his job and he was saying how amazing it was to work on dream arcade because all he had to worry about was the art and he didn't have to worry about all the other aspects of what's going on and basically he just got to think about 100% about the art which is rare when you're doing independent game development because you're usually wearing many hats and um and that's kind of where I'm at right now wearing many hats so (laughs) tell us about your hats for a second because when you started you had what knowledge of this process um the art side only the file I haven't I didn't have the knowledge of anything I mean I took what David gave me and pieced it apart and figured out how how it worked um and so that package gave you certain files and you just opened them up yeah, I would just, yeah, I just, we just, yeah, took the files that were provided and, and broke them apart and figured out how they worked. And, and we had a sprite tester and I would drop things in the sprite tester and draw on them and figure out what frames went where. Um, because the way our animation system works, it actually is one long file. And it basically says play pixels one, p- play pixel rows one through 96, 97 through whatever. And it goes in these chunks. Um, so while there, so the tile is just but one really long tile, and it plays the first kind of five frames. But there's no like real dividing point for frames um, that you can visually see. You just have to know that it's every 96 pixels or something. Um, so I had to figure out how that worked, and I would just kind of draw on it, and then put it back in the the sprite tester and see where it showed up in the animation cycle or something. So so I think that's probably one of the most strange things about this process too is that. And I think this is like this for almost every show that we do. I'm just going to say that right off the bat is we have an idea of how things work. And then there's a lot of testing that goes into figuring out what's happening. And I think we're trying to do it on top of trying to put the whole thing together at some point. By now, you're at the point where you're teaching other people to use this thing that you've just learned. And what was that process like when you were finally sitting down and saying like, here's how you do the things that I did, but better. Right. You know, it's, it's really difficult. I think the whole thing has been really difficult because you learn it and I, and I get it figured out to the point where my brain understands it, but I can't necessarily vocalize exactly what I'm doing in every single step of the way. Um, the other thing is I have been sort of dedicated to being the person who's been in charge of this project. Uh, and everyone has a million things going on. Everyone kind of has their own shows they're overseeing, uh, all these other things. Um, and it's hard to just jump in and not be 100% focused on 
the task at hand and kind of be like juggling it between other tasks because it, it, you know, game development in general and Lindsay knows this is so 100% like you have to not only just be like creatively into it, but you have to be like minding file names and it's all about like asset asset management and things like that. And sometimes I'll want to delegate a task, but I don't even know how to, the files are so deeply nested and complex that I can't even figure out myself right away how or where to get into certain files or how this is going to work or how we're going to transition, you know, these sets of files and, and kind of uh, collate them into the final package and how we're going to manage version versions and and a lot of real video game companies would have like software that manages version history and and things like that so you can't mess up hopefully you like, can't mess yeah, up so yeah. bad that you can't just walk a couple you know peel it back or, you know it's basically like an undo function or something in photoshop where you know we're using dropbox and no version history so if we really screwed up we might be able to find a copy of it somewhere on dropbox but um well i think that's one of the but there's things. no trail of who did what why is this thing changed well, um, that's what i was gonna say too is that i think there's this perception that we are a massive company that can do whatever we want and we have all these people that do this professionally and it's just this <laughs> is that this thing perceive it? i don't know oh people say that all the time it's funny i get comments about great personality all the time people email and be like i found a typo and i'm like of course you did because i made that thing in a month <laughs> you know <laughs> and i was sleep deprived and i wasn't doing anything correctly but at the same time um then i write back and i'm like oh yeah i'll fix it as soon as i get a chance i would love to fix it you know but i'm busy working on the other ones so that i can kick those out you know and then mm-hmm. i have those moments where I'm like, oh, if only, and they'll be like, oh, oh, it's just you? Oh, I okay. Well, and then they'll say the same thing. They'll be like, I, I thought there was a billion of you guys. I thought you guys had a big, big team, which I think is interesting to hear this stuff because, you know, we don't often, like, disclose this kind of process-oriented mm-hmm. stuff until after we're through it. I mean, being halfway through and telling you guys what, we're up to is kind of interesting because at the same time, like we are still figuring it out. It's looking good. Right. And I I can't even tell you how many people have come into the gallery and everyone is always, you know, awesome and really excited about what we're doing and, and and they want to help and they say, Hey, I'll help you make this game. How can I help you? And like, and you want help so badly. I would love help and I would love help, but I honestly (laughs) am just like, I don't know how, I don't know. Without having you like work here side by side with me every single day, I don't know how to bring you up to speed. And and the te- the the deadline and the the deadlines and things are so tight that there's not time to kind of like slowly ramp somebody in. It's either kind of all or nothing. Um, so for the most part, I've just been like, let me think about how I can make that happen, and then I'm just like, I don't know how it can happen. Well, I, somebody honestly, who has helped like crazy amounts um, is Ian Gorton who is a friend of ours that has jumped in several weeks ago, I think. Um, yeah, he's been working on it for a while now. And that is the exact case. And the reason he is able to do that is because he is able to come here and work, work side by side with me uh, on the weekends, at night, stuff like that. Um, he is, you know, he just finished his ma- master's. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He just yeah. finished his master's and he's sort of taking a little break after that. So he has the time to kind of like really focus on it and he's not juggling deadlines and things like that which is incredible and mm-hmm. so nice yeah so yeah. nice and for so many reasons i mean he's not like working we're not like driving him hopefully to the 
slave pit. I don't know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> but running, running him to the grave or whatever. But I know he does other things as well, but he is able to focus on it. He also is a very detail-oriented person, and I think that is a big necessity when you're working on everything. Um, I think going forward or or just in general, I think one thing that's super important in video game development is some sort of project manager. I unfortunately spend so much time, I guess I would just say managing files, copying and pasting and moving files and uploading things to servers and making sure that the versions are right. Well, you're the only one that can do that. Right. And David's working on the code, but he, he kind of just will hand me packages of code and be like, I made these changes. Here are the changes of code. Now I have to go through and implement them into every version of the instance of the game right now, which is um, currently every level, every level which has different artwork from a different artist was its own instance of the game. So if David made a change to the engine, I would have to go and implement that into every, into 30 different places, basically. Um, Right now, I'm in the process of moving over to our near final engine, which collates all 30 games into one big game uh which is super awesome so going forward it will be a little bit easier to make a change in the engine and i'll just be able to do it once and it will automatically propagate to all the the levels that it affects um but that process is really difficult because i am basically now in the process of bringing all these 30 different things into one place um but that means the structure is totally different and stuff like that which is um, a big thing. Were you a part of that yesterday? Me and Ian, Ian and I sat there for a couple hours, I think maybe all day yesterday. And we're just like, how are we going to do this? How, how can we do this without losing everything? How are we going to keep track of where things ha- were and, and who's working on what? And cause everything was based on like artists names, but now they're based on numbers so that we can move them around, um, and reorganize them and not have to rely on the artist name. So just stuff like that. So I, I feel like a lot of my time, as much as I would like to be building levels and stuff like that, I am building a lot of levels. But um, you've built probably what the majority. Well, I and here's how we Half? and this is how we sort of came to building levels. Um, building levels directly in an engine is really difficult because it's a very um, easy to use engine, but it is not easy. Like if you put down a big chunk of terrain over here you can't like in illustrator or something just pick up that train and move it over two blocks two units of measurement or something like that you have to either redraw it or you kind of can copy it and paste it back in but there's no way to just kind of like drag things around so we decided that the easiest way is to make all the measurements for how far characters can jump how all these um and how the tiles work and everything like that and then create the levels in illustrator so we can basically do what we call a sketch of a level, which is basically like a non-playable Illustrator, Adobe Illustrator drawing of how a level works. Two scale. Two scale um, that technically should be able to work if you placed real assets where all the, the just we just make blocks or, you know, like black and white shapes. Um, and then we look at the assets. We say, okay, here's trees. Here is a, a pond or something like that. We're going to have a forest section. It's going to, you're going to cross a pond over this. You're going to run into this story beat. You're going to explore this cave. Um, 
And that's sort of like the general idea. And then I um, block that out in Illustrator so that like, here's how the cave actually works. Here's how big the pond actually is. And I'm, I'm comparing it to the real assets. And I'm also just creating things in pure black and white. So it doesn't look like anything really. It just looks like a big, it looks like a level of just black and white squares. Yeah. And then, and then I give that to Francesco or Ian or, or I just do it myself. And we basically put that as a big wallpaper in the tile editor and then basically trace it, but with real graphics. Um, Except that way, for now con- considering the different like foreground, middle ground, background. Right. Yep. Um, and what's interactive and what's not and what's, you know, what's danger and what's not. And, yeah. Yeah. And I, and I will specify what's danger, but I don't get into the minutia of how do these assets actually work? Do they wrap? Do they repeat? it's kind of up to the level, I guess. So one person is like a level designer and one person is a level decorator. That makes sense. Um, because they're, they're figuring out, okay, this thing is this big. How am I going to basically wrap what I have around it? So it looks cool and it looks natural and it looks good. So here's a couple things that I think are worth mentioning. So, um, we talked about the artists having their parameters. Uh, we had three enemies, of different sizes mm-hmm. that move differently. Yep. We the three have... enemies were three to two. They all had different movement patterns. So I basically said, here are the enemies. This is the scale, the resolution, and this is how they behave. So for instance, the walker, I just gave them random names in the code. The walker would move back and forth on the ground. So you shouldn't make an airplane for a walker because it will travel <laughs> along the ground and, <laughs> and, and, the, turn and the, yeah. And yeah. you shouldn't make a walking bulldog for the bat. Because the bat flies in like a parabola, kind of like a Medusa head in Castlevania. So don't make a bulldog walking because it's always going to be flying and it's always going to be kind of like moving in a, yeah, bobbing yeah. in the air. So the artist had to keep that in mind. So they couldn't just make like, I'm going to make all different cats. Yeah. What, well, what I was going to well, say about could, that. I don't know. So everybody had all those parameters. Um, and I was just going to list them really quick for, for fun, just to kind of compare to show what the artist was doing. And then also what we're doing internally and then kind of what the last phase is. So graphic development was the hero, making the hero, doing the um, idle animation, like I said before, the like the action or whatever, attack. Or the attack, uh, the jump, the fall, the what else? Just that, the spawn. Animation? Um, no, there's no... Sp- this, yeah, that's different. Oh, okay. Well, then there's... Um, and then there are a bunch of particle effects. There are also... And the particle effects are things like when you kill an enemy, when you pick up something, when you land, the dust kind of gets kicked up. When, when you're on a bounce pad. When you're on a bounce pad and when you spawn. And yeah. I think that might be it. Okay. And then, um, then there are, of course, like all of the ground assets. So like all of the terrain... Um, there's all of the danger. There are all the pickups. There are story orbs, which I don't know if we have a better name for that right now, but there are these kind of like elements that you touch that, you know, a piece of story flies out. And then, <laughs> and then there are all the rest of the decorations. And then it was basically whatever the artist wanted to make. And they had the, the necessary elements took up sort of the upper one eighth of a page or something kind of this like document I made and then they could expand outward with as many decorations as they felt like making. So once they had that, um, as Chris was saying, the level designer kind of has to do this. And this is our part, which I think is interesting. 
So we open up the file, we look at what somebody draws, and then we say, all right, here are our set of parameters that have to exist. We have to check to make sure that everything works. So we have to sometimes like bump things up a pixel or down a pixel. We look for six major story transitions within their level. And sometimes that is uh, suggested by the artist. So if, for example, they've got certain like segments of their art that they're like, well, this is how it transitions from like apocalyptic to beautiful or something like that. Other times people just have stuff. And so we sort of task ourselves to say, okay, each one has these six areas that have to be drastically different, you know, or some kind of sequence of something. And there also has to be, within this level design, there has to be three secret areas, more or less. And so those secrets could be just about anything, whether it was like a hidden zone or some kind of like pass through or some kind of interesting pickup situation or, you know, a series of things that you'd have to unfold or whatever. Um, And what was interesting about coming up with those levels, of course, is, you know, Chris mentioned we're doing them in black and white. We're doing these illustrator sketches that are just like blocks of things. And so we're we're sitting at a coffee house usually for 10 o'clock in the morning meeting on a Saturday pointing at a bunch of black blocks and saying, this is when the person goes through this like army zone and here's where they go and they go in this like lava pit and here's when they do this other thing and here's how it all fits together. Um, What's interesting about that critique process on our side of it is, of course, you know, just like a lot of our projects, um, we hardly touch the art at all unless there is a functional problem with a pixel that's out of place you know, um, we we have what we have and it's up to us to figure out the way that we can show it to showcase the artwork as best we can. And so the critique process happens where we're kind of challenging each other, like how interesting can you make this gameplay? Like how do you move through the space? How's the experience of this level? How do you How do you get people to be engaged in finding the things? Because one thing that on the first couple drafts of some of our levels was a conversation that Chris and I had where we were saying, yeah, it's one thing to just pick things up and just to collect coins or to collect stuff. But at, at a certain point, you just don't care anymore, you know? And then you're you're trying to give people this sort of like kind of uh, underlying, you know, crawl through this space as if they're finding things out, you know? So what what was our thing that we could add by giving this this movement attribute? When you guys were doing your levels... What was either the hardest thing that you had to consider when you worked with that um, or one of the best things that you found out while kind of working with the artist's um, assets? Well, I've had a variety of experiences. Each one of us has designed about five or six levels over the past month or two. Um, And I feel like some of the levels I had a difficult time with because um, either – either the structure for it, like the background, the parallaxing background was really involved and intricate and it seemed like a important part of the story that I should leave visible so that there'd be less ground or more ground or other things like that, trying to figure out how somebody would navigate in the space. A lot of the time, um, like one artist in particular had some interesting assets where like parts of it were clear or parts of it were like partially transparent. So I um, would look at those and sort of try and figure out how I can use that, how I can like play it up. Um, This person had made water, like an ocean scene that was, it uh, 
had a gradient of being visible to in or to being fully um, opaque. And so as you sort of walked through it or went through it, you'd sort of disappear into the water. And actually a couple people had similar things. So I tried to look at what was the best way to play up what they gave us and also make it more interesting how to make this level specific. Um, I feel like I feel like we all came up with very different solutions and really good solutions. And it was cool, like having our critiques and being like, oh, this this thing is happening in yours. And this is very different. Like I liked one of your designs, Francesca, where you had sort of a um, like a residence in a cliffside or where you're sort of bouncing up a hill. I don't know if you can yeah. describe it better than that. That that sounds pretty accurate. I don't know. I was cool to I think I, I always like working more with limitations than being completely free so i think it was cool to have somebody else's artwork and then kind of make art out of it you know so that was it was good it was a good challenge um i i kind of i i don't know why this is how i i think but when chris you're talking about files and like sorting out that kind of stuff that's my initial thought about video games it reminds me of designing websites it's it a is, lot like designing websites. It is like every single tiny little hair. I mean, it might also be because I've gotten to work in tile a little bit too. So now doing anything kind of like you're just like, okay, where is this going to go? And is this going to affect something else? And yes, it is going to affect something else. So it's cool. And it's very, very meticulous. So That's a good word for it, I think. Meticulous, yeah. Well, there's so many tiny little details. I think um, here are some of the hangups that I think have sort of happened in here or maybe hang up is a wrong word sort of things we weren't expecting um in the process of trying to figure out how things work there are a couple a couple situations where um in the beginning before we had the like the format of trying to do all of the black levels as this kind of layout uh each of us was sort of taking our our concept into the stage where we're decorating it and we're putting all of like the, the tiles on there. We're putting all the assets together and we're making the foreground, middle ground, background danger, you know, pickups, all that kind of stuff. And there are a couple levels that got to almost to completion. And then Chris tested them and there was perpetual death. Yep. So infinite death cycle for no reason. The for no reason. Die again and again and again. Um, I think you said something the other day that I laughed at that. I don't think you thought was very funny, but you said that a, a harsh wind will blow. And every now and again, for absolutely no reason, something will just implode. It'll just stop working. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, how do you, how do you even anticipate that? You can't, can you? You no. can't. Um, yeah. And it is a strange thing where it does happen kind of for no reason. And, and I kind of knew that was going to happen. Um, and it's, I, I have always been into video games and I've always kind of followed the industry and I can't remember who exactly what it said it, but I remember a famous game designer said, it's amazing that anyone ever makes a video game at all. I because w- I even the people you also. think... That's, after this experience, I kind of also feel that. <laughs> <laughs> even the people who you Aww. think would have, like, they would have it down to a science, it is still, like, a barely standing skeleton of... Well, like, one tricks period and, somewhere will be wrong. Right. And then the whole thing will be imploding. And it's like... And sometimes they'll just find something in a video game where you're like, if we put this egg carton on this table in the third level and it is after it's been shot two times and the entire game will crash mm-hmm. and you're like you like, don't put how egg, did that then happen? don't just and a lot of times that's a solution they're just like don't do that yeah don't do it whatever's breaking it just don't just take it well, out I, yeah figure I, out a way to not do that yeah 
I follow, instead of trying to figure out how that why it's doing it or how to fix it. I like to follow animated movies a lot, and I know a lot in CG animated films, especially my all-time favorite audio commentary ever, which is The Incredibles, and they talk a lot about that, about... That was one of the first times they tried a lot of experiments with physics and mm-hmm. specifically, and they, they talked this up like crazy. And I remember when I was, I, actually it was 2004 when it came out. So it was my zine year, oh, yeah. but I followed, followed everything about it religiously and they kept talking about, we're doing hair and water and we're going to do hair and water and it's going to be so good. And then after a while you got sick of hearing about hair and water. But if you listen to that audio commentary and they talk about it and they're like, to get the effects that they needed, if they're like, we want this hair to blow a certain way and we want it to be wet, we need to apply this many different types of physics. And they're like all different like things interacting with a CG object to make it look a certain way. But the problem is they are fabricating nature. Mm-hmm. So it isn't like they just all oh, just create like an environment that's like rain and then things will feel wet. Like you have to fabricate a lot of other pieces and they're pieces that don't necessarily work together so things would be breaking all the time like they just break and then it would stop working and i think you know if you go through through something like this which is a tiny tiny scale or if you make a website and you realize that anything that gets made like you know when video games get pushed back or something like that you know i'd i'd be the a frustrated person except now it's like well it is crazy that they get done and mm-hmm. you should kind of be happy that and they they're get just done getting as good finished. As they get done. Yeah, and get done as well as they do. Here's one example of a weird unknown thing. So there was an infinite death cycle that was happening and it also, all of the assets were scrambled and in weird places. Mm-hmm. And how I eventually figured it out is I took the assets file, which was a PNG, mm-hmm. and I copied it and I made a new document, and I pasted it in, and then I saved it and threw the old one away and put the new one in the place. And so it was you the did same, nothing except I did nothing it. but put it in a new file That's, that was a PNG. It was the exact same file and That everything. is really stupid. That's happened with and websites with me yeah, before. Yeah, it fixed. I don't know. Or flash, <laughs> flash stuff. Oh, man, that's, that was flash all the time. It was like just copy and paste your information. Into just do document. it again. And well, I feel bad like because... Resi- there's redig- residuals. Or actually... Ian's like, my level's broken, and I'm like... Not actually. I'm like, well, just... Do everything again. It's actually, it actually, you know what is weird though? That reminds me of pre-press stuff because I've helped put together a lot of books by now. And it's interesting when you'll send a file and then the printer will be like, there's something wrong with this file. And you're like, no, there's, I checked it like 50 times. There's nothing wrong with it. And they're like, check again. And then you do, and there's nothing wrong with it. And then you just copy and paste literally every asset and put it into another thing and it works. I don't know why. There must be some residual like garbage on it. I don't know. But it makes you feel like an idiot because you keep sending them this file and they're like, no, it's not. It's not going to work. <laughs> like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Isn't that frustrating? It's yeah. frustrating. Well, I and, you know, Chris on his best days, he's like, this is good. This is going good. And then on his worst days, he's like, I am never doing this again. And then and then we'll sort of chortle to each other. <laughs> <laughs> but I think at this point, where are we now? So we have... Almost every level in a playable state, correct? Right. At yep. this present moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some decorations that need to be added. Oh, yeah, a lot of decorations. I mean, it's not really worth decorating a level until you're 100% sure everything's placed where it's going to be placed because... So, like, the, the layout. If you decide good. that you need, you know, five more 
tiles of area in a big place in the beginning of the level that's going to push everything down five tiles worth of so things. It's not so like Photoshop base, where you can just move it around. No, you, and you can't do it as you can't. You have to do it layer by layer, and you can't just like grab it and drag it. You'd have to like kind of recreate the whole thing. So, so it is better to do a shell of a thing. Yes, and that's something we figured out not super early, but yeah, pretty early, I guess. We figured out pretty early. Just After like don't don't decorate ones. it, and it, and it's hard to not do it because you, you know as you're making the level, your first instinct is like I should decorate it and make it look nice and make sure you know. And sometimes you know somebody will be doing that, and I'm just like don't because. Who knows? We're gonna have to move everything around, but that's and, and sad all those decorations too. Because are that's have to the go. fun part. Well, that's the part that's coming. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's the part where you're like, I'm gonna place this delightful, sparkly thing here. And it's also kind of that part where you have to trust that that part is is going to come, and that part is going to make it go from a kind of ugly husk of a level to a beautiful 2D wonderland. Yeah. To play through, yeah. I feel like that's the same sort of thing that I always tell my students when I'm talking about acrylic painting, where like all the way up until you're about like, you're like 80% done with your painting, it still looks like garbage. And then you're going to like put two shines on its face. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, yeah, how nice this is. Stuff. You could also think like in role models, Chris, when you're developing the game and you use cut out pieces of paper with numbers on them. Yeah. And if that worked, then anything could work. Actually, like, yeah. It didn't matter if what you put on there. And it was fun. And then. if you enjoyed playing with little pieces of paper with numbers on them, then you knew that the game was good. Because that's the thing. Like, you could have pretty stuff, and if it didn't work, then it wouldn't be very fun. So Yeah, I mean, it would have been easy just to make one beautiful long stretch. And decorate it with a bunch make of it stuff. Be, make it yeah, so and nice. when I th- Yeah, and our levels are a little bit more in the up and down and over and back and forth. Not like Metroid or anything like that where you're really like unlocking new areas and backtracking and stuff like that, but it does have more of a winding all over the place vibe than than in Mario 1-1 where you're moving from left to right the entire time and you're you're on basically one level and you kind of like go up four blocks and down four blocks and over a jump and then up four blocks and down, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, But Mario has a particularly amazing feel of the momentum and stuff like that. And I think that's what kind of makes that game. And I don't think it would be the same in ours. So ours Ours is more exploratory. Yeah, it is. And And it's meant to be. And it is meant to be because we can't make, we're not making Super Meat Boy. We're not making the hardest game because we want everyone to be able to play it. And we want everyone to be able to finish it because they want to see all the artwork. So I'm we'll see if people are able to finish it on every you know skill set. Well, I think it's funny. You guys said that it was tough and some people some people said tough. it was tough. It is so it is maybe it's just because I played a lot of computer games when I was a kid. But man, I I feel pretty good about Well, is I, it tough? Some, some it depends. people. It depends on Jenny, your level of video game for playing. Example, because give it to Victoria, Lindsay's sister oh, Victoria. Yeah. <laughs> she couldn't make that first jump in our in our little um demo yeah. game. Yeah. She just kept, she couldn't like she would move forward and, and jump at the same time. Yeah. It just is some practice. And she never did. She never did it. <laughs> <laughs> she she just laughed. So she will never it. experience the whole uh, Dream Arcade exhibition, but, uh, but most people will. What I think about it though is I think, and that's one of the things that came in the critique session is that we wanted it to be challenging. We didn't want it to be impossible and we didn't want it to just be like, just walk through, just breeze right through. So um, I think some levels have some really interesting, and that's where the hidden sort of Easter eggs and hidden secrets come in. Those of you guys that are looking for something that's a little bit more in-depth will find those. You will find them because they are in there. And if you do explore, you 
probably will have a have a nice time kind of walking through and trying to figure out where they are you know and some of those things jenny was talking about too were just you know some of the artists had assets that lent themselves really nicely to those hidden spaces in those areas so at this point um the interesting thing about our timing of everything is that we have what four weeks left Chris just made a weird face. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember exactly. <laughs> what is it? Three, four weeks left? Well, no, it's 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 more than four weeks because it? it launches the 12th and today is we're recording this on the night. We have five weeks. Five weeks. Five weeks left. Minus two for Iceland. Minus two for Iceland. Yeah. So. But while I'm in Iceland <laughs> and while Lindsay and Jenny and I are in Iceland, Ian and Francesca will be making some progress at least, right? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully okay. we don't. Uh, I hope I don't come back to death. just have a flaming wreckage of the, There will be a but... giant crater where Lake Ray was. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> no us. Super bummer. Well, I I think I think that's going to be the interesting thing. And it always is what happens. So I think in the last, like, couple weeks is always when the polish goes on. And, like, the, you know, the the whole thing at this point will be in that massive game format. Yeah, this is a big milestone this week. Um, to get it all in that format. So so this is the more final engine. We um, now have, and this isn't going to matter to most people, but if you play the demo, if you're able to find the demo game or something and you play it in a small window and then blow it up to a massive window, you can see more of the level, whereas now we're going to have a fixed view. So no matter what size you have your window scaled in the game, you're going to see the same thing, which makes the level design a lot easier because... Um, so for instance, in, in you, our demo level, experience it, I in a built way that it we up, try and make you experience right. It. Well, I built yeah. up something, you know, really high and I'm like, no one's ever going to see that. But then somebody played it on like a 20, a 32 inch monitor, you know, some massive studio cinema display or whatever. And they could just see way more of the level. So they could just see where I stopped building <laughs> so it because I, I was like, no one's ever going to see this because I couldn't see it. So now it's a fixed thing. So that is like a big deal because now we can really, really see what the final end user will definitely see. Um, and those secrets will be more secret. Yeah, so you can really see because if you have something hidden off screen, but then like someone just plays on a bigger monitor and they're like, well, okay, here's this thing just hanging out up here. It's a little bit less of a secret. So, uh, and the other, and the other, and vice versa is true where if somebody's playing it smaller, maybe they can't even see the next jump because... Oh, sad. They can't see that far ahead or something like that. Or they can't see a, a pickup we put up in this corner because we want, you know, to kind of guide the user that way to make that jump or, or to try and get up there or something. So um, so it's a pretty big deal to have this newest version of the engine that has that locked perspective and um, and more stuff like that. And then I believe today we will have gamepad support so you can play it with like Xbox controller. That's cool. Which is a big deal because playing it with a keyboard or on a touchscreen is not ideal. Playing it with Xbox controller is probably the most fun way to do it. Hopefully, so yeah. Either way, I mean, I I like the keyboard, but yeah. Yeah, you, well, you do, like... but some people have a real problem with that. People who don't didn't play PC games. Yeah. Like trying to control a thing like that with a keyboard is not is a learned experience yeah people are yeah. always like keyboards are the best game control device and i'm like i feel like they're the worst because they're the only thing that wasn't made to actually play video games they're made to type <laughs> well that's fine <laughs> I, i'll be the only one playing it on the keyboard but uh the the other things that are really pretty cool is that in the major game um there will be sort of this this overarching thematic 
story that kind of leads from level to level to level. And so the way that, that it is right now is that um, everything's in order. So you actually get to experience this on on this kind of level going through it and you can unlock the different levels and, you know, you can see it like all of the different interesting assets. And of course, all the artists have done these great uh, splash pages, which will be part of the, the intermittent screens between these levels. So you can kind of you know, unlock those and go through that process. There's these last pieces that we're going to put together at this point. It really is always interesting reflecting about like what we have left to do, you know, but five weeks sounds good. Chris is like, yes, good. <laughs> well, I mean, I think with any creative endeavor, and I feel like video games are probably more subject to this than other things, no matter what you do, you will always want more time. Yep. I Yeah. yeah and it's just... Course. I mean, and you'd say the same thing about doing an illustration or a Mm -hmm. painting. If you were on a deadline, it's like Mm -hmm. you could work on it forever. You really could. And video games are the same way and video games, maybe even more so than any other medium, I feel like. But I think that's, I think, I think that's why we have a deadline. Yes. Because you got to try and do your best within the time that you have and then you got to put it out there. Yeah. And I Mm -hmm. actually, I mean, I don't know how I feel about working on video games because it's so much work and you're in it for so long. I've been doing this since like January. Yep. And so I mean, not all of it is forward it. and it's not like, it's not my job, you know, it's not like my full-time job. So it's not like I'm doing this 40 hours a week or whatever, but it's been ramping up as we get closer to the thing. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, it has been on my mind since January and I am ready to try other things too. So I'm excited <laughs> to, <laughs> I'm excited to have it, you know, launched and, and see what happens. I would like to make, some assets for the game as well. I didn't get to make it. I, I, I made a really weird demo level. It was good. It's really funny. Well, I mean, There's it, like a tiny little statue of David in there and then like a army cat. Yeah. And that statue of David's pretty good. But the, <laughs> <laughs> but that was like, I was trying to, I was just putting things in there because I was, I just had to figure out how it works. So I wasn't concerned about anything. Yeah. That's like, like my great personality or, or Star Trek looked. mashup, right? Yeah. It, was like, it basically Trek. is your mashup. Your which would I, which I would consider a sketch for great personality. Yeah, yeah. Except for my sketch was the one that went on the website as how to do this game for the artists and things yeah. like that. Um, so I would like to actually make some assets. And once I am done, I will know how. So I can just go ahead and, and make my own level and, and do that. So I might do that, but I also um, have a lot of other things that I want to do. I'm sure. That's just how life works. I so think. we'll see which one by September 12th I'm going to care about the most. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Well, cool. Well, that's our update uh, for how things are going. We thought you guys would appreciate that uh, just because we really don't talk about kind of like the, the, what is it? The, is it a road bump that I'm talking about? I don't even know. Road map. Road map. I don't know. Speed bump. Speed. Yeah. All those things. Road maps and speed bumps. Um, of all the stuff that we're going, man, is it a weird process? Uh, so I think we will be probably posting some things um, once the exhibition is up, probably a more succinct and a little bit clearer version of best practices for what we've done. I think that's been one of the things that we're always very interested in is like now that we've figured it out, you know, maybe it's easier for other people to do. Maybe, you know, maybe there's some things that would just kind of clear clear up, you know, why perpetual death was happening or, you know, or what could make it easier. But or I'm maybe sure we'll never know. 
Maybe we'll never know. Yeah, maybe it'll be a mystery forever. But uh, in that case, we'll make sure to post that on um, the page as soon as we launch everything, too, so you guys will be able to find that when Dream Arcade opens on September 12th. Chris, where can people find us if they have game-related questions and or other things? Well, if you have any questions, you can email us at podcast at lightgrayartlab.com. You can tweet us at lightgrayartlab on Twitter. Like us on Facebook, and you will be able to be kept up to date with all of the things going on here. You'll get invites to our shows and to our game nights when those start up after Dream Arcade launches. Follow us on Tumblr. We're lightgrayartgallery.tumblr.com. You can subscribe to the show on the iTunes Music Store, stream us directly on Stitcher Radio, and come by and say hi in person at our gallery in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So if you do want to see us in person, um, Francesca will be here while Chris and Jenny and I will be in Iceland and she'll be available to help uh, show you the stack show that's still up. So you guys should come and see all the zines that are up. Um, Say hi. And our hours are actually going to be a little bit truncated over the next two weeks through the 23rd. Um, So Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, we will be open from 3 to 7, if you want to stop by. And then on Saturday and Sunday, we'll be open from 1 to 5. So um, all the posts, all the fun stuff, uh, lots of different things will be happening on the blog during that time. So you can be able to to keep posted with everything that's happening, um, including artist features, uh, information about what's happening at the Iceland 2014 residency, and lots of other stuff. So make sure to, to, I don't know, to take a peek at that. So... Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk with you soon.